Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Friday, October 14th. 2022. This is Shannon, and tonight I am here with Melissa, Georgina, and Stacy, and we are talking about, we usually call this episode creepy books, um, kind of like spooky, atmospheric, fall Halloween reads. Yeah. However you want to classify it, that is what we're doing. So, I'm going to get started with the usual housekeeping information. Then I will start us off with my first book, followed by Melissa, Stacy, and lastly, Georgina. You can find us on Facebook by searching for the Book Bistro podcast. Once there, you can post to our timeline. You can also message us privately. If you want a more social interaction, you can join our Facebook listener group, which is pretty quiet at the moment, though we are looking at some ways of possibly revamping it. If Facebook is not your thing and you still would like to hang out with us, check us out on our WhatsApp group. You can subscribe to that either by messaging us through Facebook or by sending us an email, and one of us will be happy to add you. If you're looking to get a hold of us via email, you can do that by contacting the Book Bistro Podcast at gmail.com. So I am not a fan of traditional horror. Like horror, just for the sake of itself, doesn't always work well for me. So I always struggle a little bit to find books for this episode. However, the first book that I'm going to talk about tonight is quite literally one of the most terrifying things I have ever read. And I'm going to warn you that some of the things I'm about to say will be quite disgusting. So <laughs> if you're oh, eating <laughs> or just otherwise, you know, maybe feeling a little queasy, then you probably don't want to listen to my first book. Mm-hmm. So this is House of Hunger. And it is by Alexis Henderson. She wrote Year of the Witching in either late 2020 or early 2021. And this is set in that same world, but does not have crossover with the characters. So this world is separated into like the North, which is sort of Arctic, and the South, which is industrial and pretty poor. Our main character is Marion Shaw. She has grown up in the city of Prane, which is a big kind of bustling metropolis, but not not very wealthy. Um, There's a lot of deprivation. Marion works as a maid, and she and her brother are barely like scraping by. She has always wanted to leave the city, but she doesn't really know how she can do that since there aren't opportunities for people from the South very often. But then she sees an ad 
for a blood maid. And she decides that she's going to apply for this position. So in the North, all these nobles drink the blood of young women. And these are called blood maids. And it is believed by these people that if you drink certain types of blood, you can be healed of different illnesses. Um, it can like help keep you young. Uh, there's just all these, all these myths about, you know, what happens if you drink blood. So if you're a blood maid, you are sort of an indentured servant for a number of years. And then once you fulfill your contract, supposedly you are rewarded with this really generous pension and you'll be like set for the rest of your life. So basically you give like seven years and a whole lot of blood. And after that, you're, you're set. So Marion ends up the newest blood maid in what is known as the House of Hunger. And there are 27 kind of noble houses, but only four of them are very powerful these days. And the House of Hunger right now is the most powerful. It is ruled over by a countess named Lisavette, and she is very magnetic, charismatic, a little frightening. And Marion soon becomes almost obsessed with her. Lisavette has an illness, or at least she tells people she does. You, you don't actually know like, what it is or if it's real. And so her need for blood is, is extreme. And so she has five blood maids. And at some point she would like to have four more to kind of keep up with her need for all this blood. And it soon becomes clear to the reader, if not to Marion right away, that something very bad is, is happening in this house. Like something very bad beyond just the idea that like, living, breathing people are drinking the blood of other living, breathing people. Um, you know, we're not talking about vampires here. I posted about this on the staff thread that like, this is not a vampire book. It's actually like human beings drinking the blood of human beings. And, but still we get the impression that there's something more going on. And then blood maids start disappearing under kind of mysterious circumstances. They begin to show symptoms of like what some people would term insanity. And then they're just kind of gone. And the reason for this is, is what I can't tell you because it is kind of the, the crux of this whole book. But this really really freaked me out. Um, people have these collections of like organs, human and animal organs in jars. And like, you just kind of bring these around with you. Like if you travel, you know, you, you pack your trunks, your clothes, your whatever. And you also make sure that you bring all these jars of, of organs like floating in, in brine. Yeah. And you also <laughs> have like taxidermy everywhere. And you might bring that with you as well. So I'm not really sure what people find intriguing about these things, but they, they do seem to, you know, find it so. And I, I was pretty horrified by that. And just with some other kind of descriptions that you'll read in this book. However, if you're looking for something really atmospheric 
and kind of like unique in its plot. I highly recommend this. It's based on um, the Countess of Bathari who lived in like the 17th century and did believe that there was some kind of healing property in the blood of human beings. And so did actually um, drink blood and bathe in blood. And bathe, yeah. Yes. And Henderson kind of took this and turned it into this sapphic themed horror novel that I, I loved like so much more than I thought I would. So this is House of Hunger and it's by Alexis Henderson. Now, the taxidermy, I must know, is it people or is it animals? Did it like animals. go in? Animals. Okay. Oh. Like foxes, birds. The first book I will talk about today is Kiss the Girls by James Patterson. This oh. is an installment in the Alex Cross series. Alex Cross is an FBI profiler, psychiatrist, and he works for the DC police. All of a sudden, all these women keep disappearing and being murdered, and he has to figure out why. Then it becomes personal when his niece is kidnapped, and he sets forth to find her and to stop these killings. The killers are Casanova and the gentleman caller. And for creep factor, a lot of things they do to the women are really creepy, disgusting, and gory. Oh, yes, Um, they are. Yes. So that's why I thought this would be a good creepy book to read <laughs> so that's kiss the girls by alex the no, alex kiss the girls by james patterson um i believe it's the second book in the alex cross series I believe it's been that a long time correct. since i read it it's I been re-read a long time it. since i've read it too um yeah i read a bunch of the early books in that series and then i mm-hmm. stopped after a certain point so did um, i so I'm not current, but I did think that some of the early ones were super good. And this one, I think, is one of the best. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this year I had a lot of trouble um, for some reason. Usually like this time of year, I'm all about really creepy, spooky, haunted books. And for some reason this year, just like looking at haunted house books like was getting me like quite anxious which is ridiculous but I don't know what to say every time I read a synopsis I would like get nervous so I thought I'm gonna branch out a little bit and try something new and I found this book last night or the other day that looks so good to me and I had to read it and it's called The Corpse Queen and it's by Heather Herman and this book I love it I I did too and this book for some reason is classified as young adult and I don't really know why. I, I don't know if it's just because the young woman in this story is uh, has just turned 17 or what, because this to me was not... Uh, if you're like me and you get a little... Uh, young adult isn't usually your genre of choice. Um, just take it from me. There's nothing young adult about any part of this book. Um, this book is about Molly and Molly lives in an orphanage in 1850s Philadelphia. 
And it's a very um, impoverished orphanage run by some pretty terrible nuns. But one thing that makes this whole existence in this place, um, her mother left her there when Molly was about 13. Um, her father was dying of consumption and which I think is actually tuberculosis nowadays. But, <laughs> I think so um, and, yeah. and um, but, but her mother decided she wanted to stay with her father and nurse him, even knowing that that meant that she would likely be leaving Molly alone. And so Molly is at this um, orphanage and she meets another young woman named Kitty and they become as close as sisters. They're very, they love each other very much. They, they do everything together. They, you know, um, break the rules together, whatever they're, they're inseparable. And the difference between Molly and Kitty is that Kitty is a very attractive young woman and Molly, we never really get a, get a good description of her looks throughout the story, but um, many people kind of comment on the fact that she is not an attractive girl, um, which is interesting because to me, she seemed like quite an attractive girl throughout the story. Anyway, so Kitty, um, when she turns, when she, when she gets close to her 17th birthday is sent, uh, chosen to work in some fancy houses as a maid. So she has a trade for when she is told she has to leave the orphanage at 17 and Molly stays back cleaning stables. Well, during this time in the city, Kitty meets a young man and instantly falls deeply in love. And at some point tries to get, um, Molly to leave the orphanage with her when she's going to go off and meet her beau and Molly feeling a little betrayed, a little, some, she just feels some sort of way about Kitty going off with this man. And so she stays back and is completely broken hearted when a few days later, Kitty's body washes up from the river. And this begins, um, a story of, you know, uh, Molly wanting to, um, I'm leaving out some details of this because I like the shock value and so I'm not going to say them, but um, some things were done to Kitty and uh, Molly feels as though she knows who might have done these things to Kitty. She wants to avenge her friend Kitty. And so she is caught though in Kitty's grave um, and she's gone there for reasons that I will not tell you. And the, the reverend mother of this um, orphanage tells her that she actually is being kicked out today and it's it's um it's it's winter time in in philadelphia she's being kicked out and she's going to be sent to the home of an aunt that she had no idea she had and so molly sort of feels like i don't really know what this is but i i'm very skeptical and this horrible nun um takes her shoes and makes her wrap her feet in rags so she's in the snow on top of this wagon being driven by a priest with her feet wrapped in rags, going off to this life that she has no idea like what to expect and grieving the loss of her best friend and sister. Well, soul sister. And as they're driving through Philadelphia, it's so shocking because, oh my gosh, like she's going to the fanciest part of Philadelphia and she is like let off of this wagon in the snow with the rags around her feet in front of this like ridiculously huge house with all these really weird um, sort of twisted statues of like Greek gods um, marching up the path. And there's a boy there to greet her and he brings her out some ill-fitting clothing. And he says, before you meet your aunt, you have a task you must do. And Molly's just kind of like, what the hell? Like, what is this? 
And she's taken to a hotel where she's told she has to collect a package. And I am going to tell you what's in the package, even though it's a little spoilery, because this is just sort of where the gruesome events of the story begin to happen. So she picks up this package and the, um, the, the front desk clerk insists on having her check inside the box to see like what, you know, make sure that nothing was damaged with the package. <laughs> And so she like lifts the lid of this box. And first of all, oh my God, the smell is just horrifying. And looking up at her from this box is a severed head. Ew. And Molly is just like, <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, so she like is able to, with help from someone else, kind of get her way out of the hotel with the severed head in its box with some mishaps along the way. Because you and do want to take it with you, you know. As one does, as one does. You know, I mean, I would really want to carry a box of severed head, like, in my arms. Like, yeah. I think that would be mm-hmm. great. And so, anyway, she gets back in this um, carriage, and that's when she finds out, when she gets back to this house, that is, it is actually her aunt. She's a spitting image of her now-dead, deceased mother. And this is her older sister, Aunt Ava. And Aunt Ava is known as the Corpse Queen and her job in Philadelphia, what has made her the piles and piles and piles of money that she has is she takes bodies from graves and she um, sells them to um, be used by medical students so that they can learn about anatomy. And so this book, um, throughout this book, Molly, um, her, her sort of, she decides that this is great because she can um, learn more about Philadelphia. And she knows that the the man that her best friend Kitty was with is a medical student. And so she thinks like, okay, this is great. I can figure out, like, I, I can avenge my friend but with this medical student. And I can also, um, you know, learn about um, how to collect dead bodies. And friends, this is the most like gory book I have read in a long time. It's so fascinating. I couldn't put it down. And that this, there's a whole subsection of people in Philadelphia at this time. There's a whole group of people that their their legitimate business is like basically taking from graves and earning money and grave robbing. And then there's this horrible man called the Tooth Fairy with all of his teeth on a necklace. And I learned, I learned that if if you harvest teeth from a dead body back then dentists would then implant them in the mouths of living people. Like if they needed oh, a, like a tooth replaced, like this book, I'm just telling you, it was like 50 shades of gory. Yeah, and it was that, like, so good. really creeped me out when I read that yeah. part. I was like, yeah, oh my me God. too. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, Molly is doing this and she's getting better at like making up all these lies so she can collect these bodies. Like she's a, she's a wife, she's a sister, she's a niece, like what all these different things. So she can pick up these bodies at different morgues and graveyards and poor houses across the city. But at the same time that she's doing this, she learns that her aunt is renting out the church on her property as one does, but not as a church. She's renting it out to a very well-renowned doctor and his medical students so that they can use this area for their scientific experimentation and, and like studies on these bodies. And Molly, as one does in a church and Molly kind of becomes very fascinated um, with the anatomy and uh, like anatomy in general and just learning about everything to do with medical and she wants to become a doctor and so in order to do this she has to perform some pretty icky things for this doctor in order to be like accepted into his classes and 
So throughout this book, Molly learns a lot about herself um, and kind of about the strength that she has. Um, She learns a lot about how to be um, a strong woman in 1850s Philadelphia when, you know, men were not going to do anything to help her along her path of um, becoming a doctor. And, you know, she learns a lot about her aunt and the family business. And she learns about some other creepy things as well. She makes some friends <laughs> along the way. Um, this book was quite an intense read. I, um, I read it in one night because I couldn't stop. Um, it's, I'm giving a very rambling description of it because it's so hard to describe this book without giving away too many things, but it is, it is just, it's all the things it's, it's atmospheric, it's spooky, it's gory, it's feminist perfection. It's, it's all the things. And again, it is called the corpse queen by Heather Herman. And I cannot recommend this book highly enough. It was quite a lot more than I was expecting. If you've read this and loved this, or once you read it, if you're looking for like read-alikes, I highly recommend the Carrie Maniscalco um, Stalking Jack the Ripper series, which (laughs) is also YA and takes sort of a, a supernatural look at like, you know, so like maybe Jack the Ripper is actually a vampire. Like maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Um, And we do things with Jack the Ripper, with Dracula, with Frankenstein. Um, There's also a Dana Schwartz book called Anatomy, a Love Story, which is, um, I think, a a pretty good comp for this. And Tess Gerritsen's The Bone Garden. My first book that I'm going to talk about this evening is the... Mayfair Witches, The Witching Hour by Anne Rice. And this is the first book. Um, I read this book a long, long time ago. I've read it a couple of times since then because I really enjoy it. Yeah, 50 hours long. (laughs) Like literally. Like I'm not even like making that up. Yeah, it is. Um, well, you know, it's kind of like Outlander. You read them just to reread them. Um, This is about Rowan and Rowan is adopted and she comes from relatively wealthy adoptive parents and she's on her boat when she comes across a man who is drowning or jumps right? If I recall correctly. Yeah, like he, he's in the water. She doesn't know how he got there. He doesn't like know. Like she how, sees yeah. him just kind of like flailing around. And so she rescues him. And when she rescues him and does CPR, since she is a doctor, she transfers unwittingly some of her kind of powers, for lack of a better word, to him. And so they're both kind of stunned and, but they're both at the same time attracted to each other. And so to understand herself, Rowan has to figure out where she came from and to understand the powers that she unwittingly transferred to Michael. So this book goes from the time period of um, 
Louis the Fifteenth to Louisiana to Amsterdam to France and Scotland, and the first Mayfair witch named Suzanne. And it goes back in time between Rowan and Michael and these time periods to show how the Mayfair witches came about and how they only had one male in their lineage of 12 witches. And this is a very fascinating story because it goes back and forth, not only between, but it deals with, you know, spirits and ghosts and of course dying. And I really, really like this, this book. Um, it does, you know, if you like books with ghosts and spirits and a little bit of witchcraft, you should try this, <clears throat> The Mayfair Witches by um, Anne Rice. And this is The Witching Hour, book one. So I tried to read this a long time ago. And I remember being like very intimidated by its length, because as I said, it's like literally 50 hours long. And I, I started it and I remember just being very drawn in by her descriptions of New Orleans. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I wish that I had like kept reading it at the time, um, but I did not. So my next book is a modern day social horror retelling of Stephen King's Carrie. And this yeah. is The Weight of Blood by Tiffany D. Jackson. So I am not a, a good horror person, as I've said. And so I've literally never read Carrie. But I know the story. Um, people around me have, have seen the movie and read the book. So I'm able to you know, understand this without actually knowing the, the source material very well. So Madison Washington lives in a small Georgia town, and she has always been an outcast. People bully her. Her father is super terrible and abusive. And Maddie is a girl with a lot of secrets. And one of these secrets she's keeping at the behest of her father, and he tells her over and over that you know, no one can ever know this thing about her. And in order to protect this secret, he is like tyrannical in making her check the weather. Like she has to check the weather a certain number of times before she can leave the house because she cannot under any circumstances get her hair wet. If she does, people will know this secret about her and he does not want this to happen. I'm going to tell you what the secret is because you learn it within about the first like 10 pages of the book. So Maddie is half black and if her hair gets wet then it becomes this like this afro. It, it becomes you know very very big and and frizzy and it gives away 
her heritage because you would not have this hair if you were white. And people are very unkind to her when she is doing an outdoor gym class and it wasn't supposed to rain, but it did. And her hair is, is soaking wet. And now it's all over school that Maddie Washington is mixed race. Now, Springville, Georgia is a very crappy place. And one of the things that the school does is hold segregated proms. Please understand that this is taking place in 2014. Like 2014. And they have, like they literally say, they have a white prom and a black prom. And somehow, like, nobody thinks this is a problem. I mean, some people do, but like the people in in power just think like this is, this is fine. The white people in power, you mean, right? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Because they're like in this town, like there really aren't very many black people in power. Like this is, it's just a very, it's, it's, it's not a, not a good place to be. So when people find out that Maddie is mixed race There's this video that goes viral with people like bullying her and like standing behind her and throwing pencils and making them like stick in her hair and just like being very horrible garbage human beings. And so some conniving individual decides that the way to sort of make up for this, if you can ever make up for such a thing, is to hold Springville's first ever integrated prom and Maddie is kind of unwittingly drawn into the center of this sort of social movement in her school but whenever Maddie gets really upset strange things start to happen like literally buildings shake glass breaks Like they think, you know, that they're having an earthquake in in Georgia, Um, but they're not. It's actually something that Maddie is able to do and no one really knows how they, they, you know, try to come up with like all these reasons for why these things are happening. And only Maddie really knows like what's at the root of this. And so when Springville holds its first ever integrated prom, things go terribly terribly wrong again like think back to Stephen King's Carrie yes I am and you know that very few people come out of this prom alive and all anyone will say about it years and years later is that Maddie did it but no one knows how now this is told think of of Sadie by Courtney Summers so it's told in the form of a podcast. And so you have different interviews from people who either knew about the prom, some people who attended the prom. You also have these two podcasters who are creating this show where they're digging deep into the Maddie Washington story. And they're trying to figure out like how Maddie was able to bring this tragedy about. And is Maddie still alive? Or did she perish? at the prom like so many people think she did. 
Tiffany D. Jackson is masterful in everything she writes, whether it's a contemporary like YA thriller or something more supernatural. Um, this is incredible in, in every possible way. I have loved everything I've read by her. There's only one book she's written that I haven't read because it's very, very ghosty. And as we know, like that's not Ooh. a thing that I'm going to do. But if you have not ever picked up a Tiffany Jackson book and you're looking for something like spooky, but that also has a lot at its, at its core that actually looks into like some of the social structures in our society and, you know, explores this country's history of racism and racialized violence, then I highly, highly recommend this. This is The Weight of Blood by Tiffany D. Jackson. I am adding this to my TBR. Um, it doesn't sound like my usual type of book, but I think I need it. My second book is collection of Edgar Allan Poe stories and poems. Ooh, a classic. Mm -hmm. Now, the book, the story I will discuss is called The Pit and the Pendulum. In this story, there is an unnamed narrator, and he is put on trial. We never quite find out what the trial is for, but he is sentenced to death. Oh. And this is during the Spanish Inquisition. So he faints when he finds out his sentence. And when he wakes up, he's in this dark, dank, gloomy room. And there's a pendulum overhead and it swings. It's starting to swing fast. There's also seven candles on the table. So as the pendulum slows down and the candles melt is his time for, for death sentence. So there's a lot of lovely classic Al Edgar Allan Poe scenes. For one, he, he is bound to this board and the pendulum is just going ahead at, over him, over him and getting closer and closer. And then he falls asleep again and wakes up. There's a plate of food with sweet meats in it, which leads him to be attacked by rats. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, but then he uses the rats for his, for his, uh, to help him get out of his bindings but the pendulum still keeps going and going and going and I won't tell you anymore because I will spoil it so that's the collection of scary stories and poems by Edgar Allan Poe and the story I discussed is the pit in the pendulum okay so I had to read some Poe in high school and college but mm -hmm. never, ever did I read that. <laughs> oh, did you read The Black Cat? I did read that. Yeah. <laughs> and I read, what is that? The Telltale Heart. 
Yes, that one too. <laughs> yes, yes. But I, I did yes. not read The Pit and the Pendulum. So as we were preparing for this episode, I was crying in my heart because I knew that um, I couldn't talk about Simone St. James this year because I've already talked about Simone St. James a lot. And to me, the scariest book I've ever read in my entire life is The Haunting of Maddie Claire because of two scenes I've never forgotten. And I was thinking to myself, I think I've already even talked about the book of cold cases this year, her newest. So I was like, well, I guess I can't talk about anything Simone St. James. But then my friends, I accidentally, not on purpose, stumbled across the fact that Simone St. James at some point recently wrote a short novelette, I'm going to call it. I'm not even sure if it's a full novella. And it's called Ghost 19. And I said, oh, that means I can talk about Simone St. James in this creepy books episode. And so I read this little story. And let me tell you, I loved every moment of it. This is about Jeanette Cox. And Jeanette Cox is an actress. And um, it's 1959. And she had what they called at the time, some sort of breakdown for reasons I will not say. And the doctor said that she needed to leave New York City for a time and rest with no alcohol, no cigarettes, no stimulation of any, any kind. She needed to go to a very quiet place. So she finds a place um, or a friend recommends a place. I can't remember this part, but anyway, she finds a small town in upstate New York and is able to rent a little house at 19 Howard Avenue. And she moves there and it's this quiet little town where if she's sitting on her little sofa in one of the rooms of her house, she can look out the windows and watch the goings on of the neighborhood. And she finds this so fascinating that she begins creating little stories about the different families and the different people that she sees from her window of this house. And she gives them names and she gives them backstory. And, you know, she watches this little girl with her doll in the garden. And she watches this couple when the mother-in-law moves in and there's an older gentleman who types feverishly every day until a certain time every day. And she can see him through the window and all these people, she's named them. She has stories about them. And she spends the first week of her time in this house watching these people from her window. Well, then one day she decides like, oh my gosh, I need to leave the house and I need to go and get some groceries because I'm out of food and I'm getting pretty hungry. But a very strange thing happens to Jeanette Cox when she goes to leave her house. For you see, she can't leave the house. The closer to the front door she gets, the sicker she gets until she's in the front hall by the front door, vomiting as she hears someone screaming, shut up, shut up, shut up. And she can't figure out where it's coming from. But the very thought of leaving the house has given her such debilitating anxiety that, you know, she finally, the farther away from the front door she moves, the more she's able to sort of like take a deep breath and calm down. So she starts getting groceries delivered, but you know, there's a thing about this house. She keeps watching all these people from outside, but 
she's becoming aware that inside 19 Howard Avenue, there is something wrong with the house. She feels as though she's being watched and rooms in her house are suddenly feeling more and more unsafe. After a certain amount of time, she doesn't even want to sleep upstairs anymore. She feels like she can hear breathing up there. It's quite frightening to her. So she ends up spending the majority of her time in her little parlor on her little sofa, looking out the window and telling stories in her mind of the neighbors. And it even gets to the point where she's having anxiety about going into the kitchen because that's where the basement is. And the basement feels like a place to be avoided at all cost. But then she starts seeing a man standing outside her window and her terror just continues to escalate. Jeanette Cox has a problem because it's no longer safe inside her house, but she feels like outside of her house is just as perilous. This is a short story, and so I'm not going to give any more detail. Um, I will say that for me, I liked the spooky elements of this. They were quite fun. Um, I, I like the sort of like um, rear window vibes I got off this. I feel like maybe I'm, I'm saying that right. Um, but what I liked most was the voice of the heroine that Simone St. James writes in. She has a very sassy, snarky way of looking at the world, of looking at herself. She has this very dry, witty, irreverent way of sort of looking at everything. And the way that she writes these stories about these neighbors is just delightful. And um, for a short book, it packs a lot of punch and you actually feel as though you're reading fully actualized characters that are interesting to read about, not just like novella characters that you feel never get fleshed out enough. This again is Ghost 19 and it is by Simone St. James. So I saw this a number of times um, on an Audible Plus. And it just kept like showing up when I was searching for books, like for this episode and like looking for books for you. And I never told you about it because every time I looked at it, I was reminded that it was like this tiny, you know, audio thing, like under three hours or something. <laughs> and I hate short books. This is right. something that I did I not, like, I cannot no. overstate. <laughs> and I was just like, no, like, I'm not even gonna, I didn't gonna say this because like it makes me mad and I don't want to read ghosty books. So it's certainly going to like make her mad because she does want to read ghosty books. And then here's this like little tiny one. Um, my next book that I'm going to talk about is Stitches in Time. Oh, yay. By Barbara Michaels. Everyone knows Barbara Michaels is like the queen of just gothic horror type of, of books. And this one starts with Rachel and Rachel loves collecting different um, antiques isn't the right word, but objects that, that what she calls old and their history and what people put in them or lack of. Um, and in the shop that she's working in comes in three quilts. And she is fascinated by these three quilts. I mean, to the point where she takes them home. And I don't think you're supposed to do that. I don't think so either. I don't (laughs) think so either. And she ends up where she's so 
drawn in by these quilts that she's literally, she can't be far from them, it seems. And they start to affect her. And they, they start, the, what she does is that these quilts have taken over so much that she does things that she shouldn't do. Um, in one particular scene, she dumps obvious pieces, uh, pieces of glass in somebody's drink while people are watching. Um, oh, and so, Rachel, and, that's not appropriate. <laughs> no. Is that what we call so that? Not. <laughs> it, it makes you leery about drinking anything Rachel hands you. I'm just saying. Indeed. <laughs> and so it starts to affect um, the people. Sh- these three quilts start to affect the people she loves. And Rachel has to decide that there must be something in these quilts. And it comes um, as no surprise that she doesn't want to believe it, but it is true. <laughs> um, these, this book is A Stitch in Time by Barbara Michaels. Oh, this, I think was one of the, not the very first, because the first Barbara the Michaels third. I ever read is The Wizard's Daughter. Oh. Um, but like one of the first that I've read that I read by her back when I was gobbling up like these gothic novels. Yes. Yeah. So my final book tonight is I think more atmospheric than creepy. We know that I don't like ghosts, but what I do like is the whole like spiritualism craze that swept the world beginning in like, you know, the the 18, like the later part of the 1800s and moving into the beginning of the 1900s. So when I heard about The Second Death of Edie and Violet Bond by Amanda Glaze, I knew that I needed to read it. Whether or not it was going to be a good fit for this episode, I, I needed to have it. So Edie and Violet Bond are twins. They have just turned 17 and they have run away from home. They have been traveling in a spiritualist show for the past year. This is set in Sacramento in 1885. And they are touring with this like group of young women who say that they are spiritualists. Now, some of them actually have spiritual gifts and some of them don't. But what we learn is that a lot of the women who actually do have spiritual gifts still fake it for these shows, for these stage shows, because there is a lot of risk in actually contacting the dead, like for real. So it's much better, they think, to pretend to do it and to use all of the tricks of the trade that, you know, were were popular back then, like the wires underneath the table and like different kind of devices that, you know, make things seem to levitate. So Edie and Violet are the daughters of a pretty renowned medium, but she died under very suspicious circumstances a little while before our story begins. And her death is actually what 
caused the twins to run away from home because their father is a minister and he is done with all of this spiritualist stuff. And he wants to send the twins to an asylum because of what he, you know, he views as like their demonic interests. And he he doesn't like this. So now they are part of this show and they're doing private seances on the side. But these seances, like everything else that they do, you know, for the public are, are faked. So the client that we see at the beginning of the book wants them to contact the spirit of her cat, which is totally a thing that like I would want someone to do. Um, you know, I've, I've lost a lot of cats in, in my time. And I suppose if I were to go to a medium, um, I, I would want to know like what the winter solstice cat is up to these days and on the, on the other side of the veil. So they are trying to figure out like how to pretend to contact a cat. But when they're doing this, things go very, very wrong. And it becomes clear that in pretending to sort of open the veil, they have actually done it for real. And something very dark and very powerful is coming through. And this being that is coming through could be tied to what happened to their mother that ended up causing her death. Edie is our kind of main character here. And she has the power to actually cross into the spirit realm. Violet can communicate with spirits in this realm, but Edie can actually cross over, almost like um, what we would consider now like astral projection. And Edie decides that she wants to dig into this and understand everything she can about what happened to her mother so that hopefully she can keep whatever this force is from coming through again and wreaking more havoc. I love the historical detail here. Like we really get to know what life was like for young women who are traveling. You know, they're they're unchaperoned. Um, they're just kind of moving from hotel to hotel as they perform in you know various shows like around the American West. Um, I think. If you want to be like scared, I, I don't think this this will scare you in the way that like you know some other things that we've been talking about might. But if you're looking for something that just has like that spooky kind of autumn feel, like you want to you know snuggle up in bed with this and like really just fall back in time and be a little creeped out by what is possible and like the ways in which this author describes what she can, you know, what she thinks like the spirit realm might be like. Um, This is a a good read. It is YA, but not, not like saccharine YA. It encapsulates kind of all the things that I love about reading young adult fiction as an adult. So this is The Second Death of Edie and Violet Bond by Amanda Glaze. 
the last book is a romance called Halloween Treats. And in this story, there's two elementary school teachers, um, Jack and Chloe, and they are are chaperoning a uh, a dance. They have been picked to help with the dance. It's a Halloween dance. They both like each other, but neither one knows it. So the whole plot is them trying to get the other to recognize that they are interested. And it is very steamy. Um, It is The Halloween Treats by Alexa Riley. Alexa Riley. So is it like, do you get to see them sort of at like the... The, at dance, the dance, there's like a haunted house school. scene or something. It's um, it's more of a romance with them picking the decorations. Ah, and, okay, so it's like Halloween yeah. themed. Yeah, yeah, but not necessarily like. This is the first time I've read a Halloween themed romance because most know there of was the such a thing. Thing, yeah. <laughs> Happiness is discovering a book that you just fall into and it like inhales you whole and like you cannot leave the world of the book until it's over. And that's what happened to me when I read Fallen by Mia Sheridan. I loved this book so much. So this book is about Scarlett and Scarlett and her seven-year-old daughter Hattie have just purchased a giant mansion sort of in the middle of a forest as one does. And Scarlett has huge plans for this property. It's called Lilith House. And she is going to turn it into a, a business. And I won't tell you what, because we don't know right away what she's going to do. But Scarlett has some ulterior motives for purchasing this specific house. Because Lilith House was built in 1876. And at one point, it was a reform school for wayward girls. And one of her best childhood friends, Candace, was one of the young women who was sent to Lilith House when it was a reform school for wayward girls. And Candace like ran away and sort of disappeared and Scarlett has never heard from her again. And she's hoping that within the walls of this mansion, she might be able to learn what happened to her dear friend, but also she sees the possibilities for what it could be in the future. When she arrives, it's this falling down heap of ick with, you know, just like creaky floors and dirt and, you know, peeling wallpaper. And she's sort of like, oh my God, what did I do? But she and Hattie, her seven-year-old are already here. And so she decides that she's going to make the best of it. Now, as she begins with reluctant assistance from the town to renovate, she's pretty creeped out by what's happening in the house. She hears screams in the walls and like people like walking like inside the wall. She hears like footsteps. And there is um, rumor of some sort of creature in the woods. And unbeknownst to Scarlett, her seven-year-old daughter, Hattie, uh, is sort of communicating in a way with this creature in the forest and needs to know, like needs to know more about this creature, this person, this ghost, this thing that we don't know what it is in the forest. And, 
you know, there's also this deputy sheriff who Scarlett is both attracted to and intrigued by and also a bit repelled by in equal measure because she can tell that he has secrets, but damn, he's hot. And sometimes mm, she just wants to know more about him. So that is the contemporary storyline of this book. But then we go back in time 14 years to when Candace is at Lilith House, the reform school for wayward girls. And we learn about Candace and what happens to her within the walls of Lilith House. And honestly, this was such a compelling read. The, uh, the parts told from Candace's point of view that I didn't want those parts to end. Um, there's, there's so much suffering that happens within Lilith House. This, this school is not, the school is marketed to families as one thing, but once you step inside, it is quite another. And what this place is, is not a place of religious warmth and welcome. It's a place that has twisted religion to be used for purposes that benefit a few people and not the girls that reside within the walls of Lilith House. Um, I don't want to say much more about this book because it, um, it's best read without spoilers. What I will tell you is there are some very violent scenes. Um, there's some animal cruelty that could be disturbing. Um, there are some on-page descriptions of um, sexual violence. And just overall, this, this, this book, um, it's, it's written by Mia Sheridan, who writes a lot of romance. And the voice in this book is very, very different from, say, Archer's voice or The Wish Collector. Um, this is a very dark story. Um, but it was, um, this is one of my top reads in quite a while. I could not put it down. I just like busted my way through it like super fast. It's creepy. It's atmospheric. It kind of feels gothic. You know, um, are there, is there a paranormal element or is there not? Um, you'll have to read it to find out. This is Fallen by Mia Sheridan. Um, go forth and read immediately. This is my favorite um, book that I've read for this episode. I, I just was very entranced by it. My final book of the evening that I'm going to talk about is Island of Bones, Haunted Florida, book one by Gabby Triani. And this was an interesting book because it is labeled um, like supernatural as well as women's fiction with a bit of mystery thrown in. Um, I've never seen this type of style before. Not really. Um, this was about Ellie. And Ellie is a high school math teacher when her grandma decides well her grandma dies and she decides to quit her job and deliver her grandma's ashes to their ancestral home which was lost when their grandma was a new bride and when Gabby gets to Key West it is very um it is nighttime. So she didn't think that she needed a hotel. Um, and all of them are out of her price range because it's some type of festival and they're nearly $500 a night. 
So one of the locals tells her that there is a hotel available. And when she gets there, she's kind of wondering if she's at the Bates Motel. Because it is really, (laughs) (laughs) it is creepy. It is run down. Um, And she's not sure that she wouldn't rather sleep in her car. But she figures she's already there. So she gets her grandma's ashes from the car and goes in and meets a lady who only has one eye. And the lady's in her 60s with long, messed up hair and just giving Ellie the creeps. And she rents her the room for 200. And that's when um, things start appearing. Little shadows, other creepy things. Um, by the next morning, Gab, I mean, Ellie is seriously thinking about going back home and how stupid this was. When her mom calls her and tells her what the um, ancestral home was called, Gabby realizes that she's in her ancestral's home and all she does is have to scatter her grandma's ashes. But there, folks, is where Gally runs into a lot of trouble. She um, is nearly attacked by spirits, and some are good and some are not good. Some try to help her as she um, tries to spread her grandma's ashes. Some do not. Some try to prevent her from doing such a thing. And Gabby has to figure out the mystery when she realizes that that's her ancestral home of what happened to her grandfather and why did her grandma lose her ancestral home. And she runs into quite a bit of interesting characters. This is Island of Bones, haunted, Florida, book one, by Gabby Triani. I have never heard of this. All right. So this concludes our kind of spooky Halloween-esque episode. Thank you to Melissa, Stacy, and Georgina for participating tonight and as always thanks goes out to christine for all of her editing we wouldn't have a podcast if no one listened to it i I say this quite often and it's so true and so more than anything i thank each and every one of you for joining us each week as we talk about great books If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.